Welcome to a summer special edition of Something Different This Way Comes. Something different this way comes, something, something different, something different, something different this way comes, something, something different, something different. I'm so excited to share this with you. On June 11th, I hosted a gathering, and this special is about that gathering. It was two things, a rap party, thanking some of the people who gave so much to this podcast with a meal and a party, and it was a seed party, asking my guests to seed the next season of the podcast with their ideas and and perspectives. We gathered at the newly renovated Lappy Ski Center Chalet, beautiful space, on a long June late afternoon as it moved into evening. The meal was catered by Willow Springs Creative, who also facilitated a collaborative art activity. Willow Springs Creative, which you might have gotten to know a little better with my interview with its co-founder and, and, and head honcho, Judy Vinny. We filled vision boards with bright post-it notes of ideas. It was great. I brought my microphone so I can bring you this. So, first of all, who was there? A couple of dozen of us, all told. My family, though Arno and Ben listened more than they spoke. But they've all been guests on the podcast, Arno, Ben, and Sam. And my guest list started with podcast guests, each of whom I also asked to invite someone else, someone of another generation. The guest list was rounded out with a couple of my most engaged listeners and subscribers to the podcast newsletter. Not everyone invited could make it, obviously, but what a wonderful collection of people gathered. And after the art making, but before the meal, I introduced everyone. Well, welcome, everybody. I wanted to uh, record us being introduced to one another. The question I'd like you to introduce yourself with is, if there is a difference you could see happen now in Thunder Bay, what's the first thing you'd like to see accomplished? Dream big. Can be anything. So um, my name's Heather, and I'm your host, and I'm so glad you're all here. And the thing, if I could make one thing, I had to think about it because there's a long list. But the top of my list I decided this morning would be universal basic income. If I could make universal basic income an actual thing with enough of an investment in food, health care, and shelter so that we really could cover the basics with that income, that would be great. That would be something I could do. So dream big, like I said. Do whatever you want. So Betty, I'm going to get Betty up first. Betty was um, a guest in the first season, and she is an artist and a very kind change maker. So, anyway, uh, if you had, could do one change in Thunder Bay, or you get a choice because you were my guest, um, if there's something that stuck with you from our conversation, either of those are great introductions for today. Uh, so what stuck with me from my conversation with Heather, and I really, it was the first time I articulated it um, in a public way, was I said I was going to be a better steward so that I could be a good ancestor. And I really tried to, um, you know, walk that walk and talk that talk more than I may have be before that. So that's something that I feel. But also, for what I could see in Thunder Bay, I feel like to give more dignity to, you know, to the whole community, not just for some. Thank you, Betty. And so, Betty, before you go, actually, why don't you introduce Eden? Uh, my guest is my youngest daughter, Eden Wilkins. 
Um, she's an artist as well. She's a, a traveler and explorer and, um, I don't know, she's just like <laughs> a mini me, no. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that in public, right? Um, no, she's just a really, like, lovely person and I'm happy to know her as a person and my daughter. Come on up. So if you could change one thing. What comes to mind first? Okay. I also have many, but I guess the first thing that comes to mind is to um, continue to support and to create more spaces, both in, both indoors and outdoors, where people can gather for free and where those spaces can be multi-purpose for being active or creative or eating or just gathering, just like more accessible community spaces for people. Yeah. I love that. So Summer, I wanted to bring you up next. Summer was also in season one, and she loves turtles, and she's a biologist, and she is a a science educator, um, and she's also now working in the city trying to make positive things happen from the inside, and uh, she's one of my heroes. So tell me uh, something that stuck from your podcast conversation with me or something you'd like to see change in Thunder Bay would make you feel great. Um, So I think from the uh, our podcast episode thinking about the the topic of hope um, and how we engage with with each other um, and bring each other along and I think that that relates to what I would change immediately tomorrow if I had all the power in the world is I would make it uh, easier to know your neighbor and so really put a lot of effort into how can we make sure that we know who we live beside uh, who we live with so that you know we can help each other out in times of of greatness and times of you know emergency. And you brought a guest too. Yeah. Uh, so with me today, I brought Kira Essex. Uh, so Kira Essex is a young climate activist, a student, um, and all around a wonderful human being. She's a member of our Earth Care Advisory Committee, and I'm so uh, thankful that she is here um, and inspiring me, um, and hopefully all of us to do, do good work. Yeah. Kira, do you want to come up? She's got something for us. Yes. Thank you for coming. So what comes to your mind? Something if you could change and make a difference, what would come first to mind or top your list? I think um, looking kind of at what Summer said about like getting to know your neighbors, um, an extension of that, wanting part of those neighbors to be like, like the land and the waters. So have like building that relationship of we're not just looking at equity as equity for other people, but you know, everything physical, uh, metaphysical, alive or even if you don't consider it alive everything is animate so extending community and how we conceptualize community is like we're we're out here at Lappy and um everything about the space is entering into the the community we're building together today because we're here in this place um so I think yeah it's very like more headspacey but like reconceptualizing community in that way yeah Broader than just the peoples. Yeah. It's all the life around us and all of the, the, the rock, the ancient rock on which that life has grown. And yeah, the greatness of it. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how about if we bring up Paul next? Paul was in season two uh, with me. I bumped into him at the electric car show and he has one. 
And he's the first person I know personally who has an electric car. And so we started with a very pragmatic conversation about he had a hybrid, he had a car, you know, this kind of practical stuff, which is great to know. But of course, he's also an activist, an educator, a passionate learner of many things. So our, our conversation went many ways and, uh, and has come to mind often since. So Paul, what, uh, what stuck with you from the conversation and what would you like to see change? Um, what stuck with me from the conversation is just that it went in all kinds of directions, right? That we, you can't speak about electric cars without speaking about climate activism and other changes. So I really appreciated that, that we just, we spoke, which was really great. Um, I'm going to give you two things. I can't give you one, but they're kind of linked. Uh, if there's one, one change I, I would make is I would make all transit in Thunder Bay fare free and much better than it is because that would really help uh, a, a very large number of people in the city that don't have cars. Um, but at the same time, I would, I'd love to see Thunder Bay with phenomenal bike lanes. We would just have so many people biking, uh, summer and winter, uh, there'd be people that biked right through the winter. Um, it seems like a doable thing, and, and it's, we'll get there eventually, but why not get there much faster? Yeah, I love it. Arno, come on up. Arno is my husband. He hates to talk. But, and yet I got him on the podcast once. Come on up. I got him on the podcast once. Um, I was talking to Muriel Squires, who you'd never guess it when you meet her, but she's actually, I think I've calculated in her 80s, originally from Newfoundland, an artist and uh, just a very sweet, thoughtful person when I needed perspective, right? It's, it's really hard to think about change when you feel like nothing has changed and it's so hard to make change happen. But if you look back, suddenly it seems much more achievable and much less of a straight line. Like it's like you push and you push and then change happens. So after that conversation with her, I talked with Sam, I talked with Ben and I talked with Arno. So if you could change one thing in Thunder Bay tomorrow, what difference would you like to see? Um, for me, I think the big thing would be more protection for farmlands, especially the sustainable farms. It, it breaks my heart driving around and seeing the uh, farms turn into small subdivisions like it, it's just a cash cow for somebody who just break it up into as many pieces as they can and it, we're losing valuable farmland to carelessness thanks hon that's my husband that's our know yeah um sam is my younger son and I did say at breakfast he'd be asked this question. So Sam, if you could change one thing, and he was on three shows, what would you change? The one thing I'd change is, it's this really dumb law about windmills. I'd like to see them more often, but there's a law, uh, an Ontario law about windmills where it has to be really far, far away from earshot, not even eyeshot, but earshot of any place anyone even could be not like a any establishment or anything just anywhere someone could be so it's really annoying and greatly disables the amount of um windmills and green energy we're able to produce that's a, that's a good thing to change i like that one that's good judy I've known Judy for 19 years already. So what stuck with you from our conversation? Or what would you like to see change if you could just change things? You could do either or both. Well, I think what stuck with me is just that I need to take time to put more thought into things and random acts of kindness 
can make such huge differences. And so that's sort of where I've been going in my mind a lot since we spoke. Yeah, and the other thing, the change I would like to see is that immediately, starting tomorrow, that people who live in long-term care have to go outside every day, just like children at schools and in daycare. People need to go outside, and any institution that can, can has grounds and is feeding people should have a food garden, and people should be engaged in gardening. Don't go away, because now you get to introduce Hannah. Oh, and I brought with me my daughter, Hannah, and similar to Betty, she's, you know, what Betty said about Eden. (laughs) I I love knowing Hannah as a lovely young woman. Um, I'd like to just toot her horn and just say that she just returned from a artist residency for two months in Japan, and then traveled through Korea for a month on her own, and uh, she has written a beautiful children's book while she's gone, so I'm waiting for that to be published. Hey, come on up. I'm giving you power, the power to change something. What difference would you like? Uh, I think I would change um, Thunder Bay to make it more of a walkable city, like you were saying with bike lanes. I think walking is so important. And then that helps you know your neighbors better when you're outside more and helps you create those like third spaces. Yeah, so. (laughs) And we're out in the country and she's thinking walking. So I love it. That's really good. Yay. How about if I bring up the lovely Leah next. So Leah McKay is the secret sauce of the podcast because although I'm very comfortable with a microphone and editing tape and writing songs, putting it on a website, figuring out what things should look like when they need to look like something, terrify me. And she's a brilliant graphic designer and a very busy woman who makes time for me whenever I ask. So Leah, come on up. If there is one thing you would like to change, uh, if you could make a difference, just happen. What comes to mind first? Okay, um, I wasn't really like preparing to say anything, but I guess for me, one of the biggest things would probably be affordable housing. That's definitely a big concern for, I think, everyone in my age group right now. And yeah. That is a good one. Okay. Thanks, Leah. Yay, Leah. So Thora, can I bring you up next? So Thora, um, I knew a little bit we'd be at the same things. And then I spotted her at the same thing and beetled over and said, would you be a guest? Because I know that her expertise is one I don't have. And it's about how cities grow and root into the natural world. So we had this amazing conversation that she brought um, so prepared. She had this list of words that we all wanted to touch on. They all started with I, and they inspired the I song, of course. But if there is anything that stuck with you after our conversation or that you'd like to change if you could do this, or both, what would you like to say? The fact that you could take those I words, and those I words included integrate, intercept, imagine, implement, innovate, go with new ideas, even in old places. But when I could see at the end of the notes that um, were what I took to the, to the interview with, uh, with Heather, I was thinking in terms of how I might answer her questions. I had no idea that she might take those I words and create her own iTunes. <laughs> but that 
iTunes has stuck with me, and to tell you the truth, I've come away from that interview talking about neighborhoods design. I'm a land use planner by, by training. And the idea of um, building neighborhoods where, yes, people get to know each other and want to be neighbors, want to do things together, very, very important, and not easy to design for with our suburban penchant in the 21st century and 20th century. But the fact that those I words came together for me gave me, coming away from the interview, a real sense of renewed confidence in the work that I'm doing and in the importance, not of Thora Cartledge, but of going forward in an integrative, innovative, and imaginative way. I'm very, very thankful for that. If there's one thing I would change, it would be that we would, to the person, strip away our fear of others who we don't know, of others who are perhaps more disadvantaged than we are, of others who live in areas we're fearful of entering, of others who haven't the capacity to reach out for the, for the resources that they need. And so all of us who have the capacity to reach out and make eye contact, then perhaps lend a hand up that we be daring, we be innovative, we intercept without being nosy, but we intercept to give a hand to those who need it most. That's what I would change and what I would hope in the future that we'd be able to see in this region. We judge ourselves by the well-being of the, the most needy among us. I love that. So, oh, Thora, I shouldn't make you sit down because you brought a guest. You brought Pam. Um, I brought... I brought uh, I brought a guest of the younger generation. She's younger than I am. That's Pam Kane, who is an artist herself, and many of you will be familiar with the KHEP work that she's done, the work at the archives, the Fort Francis Museum, and many other volunteer tasks that she takes on. Pam, in turn, has brought her guest, her son's partner, Kate. So there's something about what you're doing, Heather, that has a ripple effect. <laughs> that being said, it, it was my friend, we're mutual friends, but my friend Kathleen who encouraged me to come tonight. So maybe she wants to speak too. Yes, see, there's all these connections. But I'll get Pam up next. So if you could think of one thing you'd love to change just like that, if we're that easy, what comes to the top of your heart? Well, I mean, Thora talked to how we see people in the community. So I work with lots of organizations and have through, through the years and now volunteer with ones. And it's sort of the other people I work with say to get them to open their eyes and say, these are people and you like you have to make eye contact and, 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 and not to be, they're fearful. People are f fearful of each other. And how do we break that and sort of that? get rid of the stigmas that we have and, st and things like that and build communities that are more caring and have more empathy, I guess. Um, the other thing, too, I noticed there's always a cry for funding for, from some of those organizations that do such great grassroots work. For example, the Evergreen community just, you know, had to get some additional funding from the city to meet their needs. It's like, why do these people and we've been involved in an arts education organization. We do good work and we spend so much of our energy on getting the funding and pleading to the governments or pleading that we need the funding where, where we should be doing the work. Yeah. Give us the money, 
let us do the work because it's such great work, right? So here today because of Judy, this is the great work that's happening. You know, Heather's brought it together, but Judy's sort of... She's really another secret sauce. <laughs> that facilitating it, right? So, so make, you know, let these organizations have their money. They've proved it. They've been on the ground. They've done it. So, yeah. yeah. Get rid of the unnecessary uh, fencing. Yay. Yay for Pam. Thank you, Pam. Kate, come up and, and introduce us to you with just an introduction to something that comes to your heart as a difference you would love to see. Um, I think I'd like to see increase to mental health and addiction services, especially in our emergency department in Thunder Bay. That would be huge, wouldn't it? Yeah. For some reason, that makes me think of Veronica. So Veronica, again, I met somewhere out and about in the community maybe a decade ago, and we, we end up at the same places sometimes because we share a lot of interests. But she just recently took on a new role at one of my favorite local organizations, Elevate, as a nurse practitioner, and I'm super excited to see what you do with that role because it's going to be transformative because you're always transformative. So anyway, if you could change one thing, Veronica, what would it be? Yeah, thank you for that because uh, I definitely want to shake everything up. That's sort of my thing. Yeah. Uh, if I could change one thing, it would be the relationship that we have in Thunder Bay with people who have uh, addictions and mental health concerns. Um, because oftentimes when people go to access services, they can't get the help they need because they're uh, the person who's supposed to be providing service, whether that's in healthcare, whether that's in government resources, is too busy looking down their nose at them to provide what is actually needed. And I'd like to give people a world that's worth fighting to come back to, a community that's worth fighting to come back to because the struggle that people who have addiction and mental health issues face is... Um, it's a very real challenge, um, and they fight every day to come back from it, if they come back from it. Um, and so it, there has to be something worth it on the other end mm -hmm. to make it worth that, worth that fight because the, the whole reason people get into that stuff in the beginning is because they're covering up something so painful that you probably can't even imagine it. So you've got to give them something that's worth fighting for, that's worth coming back to. Yeah. Valued, celebrated, included such a long ways from where we are. Thank you. Joanne and Kathleen um, are friends going way back. People I admire for many things. I think I'll bring Joanne up first. Um, Joanne, again, I interviewed her with CBC like 20 years ago, probably. And we talked about Seeds of Diversity, which you were a founding member of. So this is an international organization that recognized early on that we were growing less and less kinds of everything we eat, and this was a problem. So they set out to save all those heritage seeds, um, one garden at a time, one fall collection of seeds at a time, one little seed exchange event at a community center at a time, and they've done amazing things. And uh, we went to her garden and I met her bees. That was the beginning of me falling in love with beekeeping maybe 20 years ago. Every time I see her, I'm just glad to see her face. She's just such a huge heart and such a grounded person. A biologist, microbiologist, very educated. But she's mostly a hands-on, walking or talk woman. So come on up and tell me if you could fix the world with just one significant change, what comes to your heart? I'm better at talking to plants, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Heather. 
this wasn't supposed to happen. You know that. Uh, anyway, um, I am passionate about seed saving. I've been saving seeds for over 50 years. Um, worked with Seeds Adversity for a long time. And that is my form of activism, to engage people in seed saving, to teach people the importance of treasuring these heirloom varieties that have been with us since we started agriculture. They have been bred. They are our family. They, they, we have bred. They've been with us as our times changed, as the climate changed, as we moved from one location on this planet to another. The seeds have adapted and been treasured and and they have evolved with the family, they have grown with the family, and now they are treated like a commodity, and they're not a commodity, they are part of who we are. Um, I like to see more people who are able to save seeds, who are able to have gardens. If you don't have seeds, you don't have food security at all. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, seeds can be changed, but as with some other things, seeds are changed so quickly by engineering techniques that they are not evolving as we have evolved. So that connection between our own evolution and the evolution of seeds has been broken. And enough of that. Okay, but <laughs> if I could change something tomorrow, I would love to see people say hi to each other and just forget all the stuff that is going on in politics, in and everything else on the planet, like just look at people, other people, and say, I see you, and I appreciate you, and I respect you, and smile. Thank you. Thank you. I think you're right, John. I think I promised not to put you on the spot, and then I forgot and put you on the spot. And uh, Kathleen is equally unlikely to like being on the spot. Um, but she, Joanne and Kathleen listened to the podcast. And that is a huge commitment. I talk for an hour. Like, you know, and I play a song, and it's not great sound, and I don't expect people to listen. I mean, I expect Arno to, and he sometimes falls behind. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a lot to ask. So they listen, I know they listen, and they give me feedback, and it means such a lot to me uh, when they do, like such a lot to feel like I'm being heard. So I'm really, really glad you're here. Um, Kathleen's also one of my superstars. Uh, first time I went to her house and saw her studio and the way that she connects with the world, I was like, oh my goodness, this woman is walking magic. She is so rooted. And now she lifts my days like three times a day with the pictures she posts on social media, looking closely at the wonder of the world. Um, but if you could change one thing, Kathleen, woman of many sides, what comes first to your heart? This is easy. I would clone Veronica <laughs> to, to spread the harm reduction message and person first and to create 180s in people's thinking. Um, that would be so important. I love that. See, we look like we're here to change the world environmentally, but first we gotta start with us. Right? If we're the one impacting the world, that feels like the theme so far. But who have I not talked to? I haven't talked to Eleanor yet, who's officially here as a guest. 
and I haven't talked to Stacy yet, who invited her. So Stacy, I invited because I've just started to get to know her through the Women's Center where she works. And she asked me to volunteer there and talk about money with whoever wants to drop in. Anyway, that's by the by. I like Stacy a lot, and I knew she would be amazing to have included in this gathering. So Stacy, if you could change one thing in the world, tell me something that comes to your heart. If you could just make it happen. I mean, one thing is really difficult. Um, I would echo so many of the sentiments um, that have already been shared here. So I'm a social worker by training, and I work with people who are struggling to survive with very little resources, very little support. So free transit, uh, affordable housing, mental health and addiction services that don't close the door on you if you fail to show up for a couple of appointments because you're just trying to stay alive and make it through the day. So all of those things, yes, but underneath all of that, I just want us to care about each other because we live in a culture that is so focused on holding on to our individual means if we have them and not sharing with one another. Um, So yeah, I just want us to care about each other and make decisions from that place so that those who are the most vulnerable are always at the center and are always sort of at the core of all the decisions we make so that they are cared for first. Yeah. There's a quote when, um, when Joanne was speaking. I wrote down a quote that I have in my notes somewhere on my phone, and all it says is, we exist for each other. And so I try to keep that in mind. I love that. Thank you, Stacey. <laughs> oh, yeah, you want to introduce Eleanor. Yeah, sure, sure. So I brought with me Eleanor Albanese, who is a very talented, thoughtful, imaginative, multidisciplinary artist, uh, published author, playwright, puppeteer, the list could go on and on. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Eleanor at KHEP where Pam hired me back in 2016, so that was wonderful. I got to join Eleanor on her artist residency with Jumbly's Theater in Toronto, and she just brings magic everywhere she goes. And so, yeah, come on up. Thanks, Eleanor. Talk to me about change. What comes to your heart as a difference you would love to just see happen? Um, Well, it was just so inspirational to listen. Really, it was. And I think there's a couple things. One is um, what comes to mind is the word listen. Um, Because we're in a culture of... um, It's a very divisive culture and loud voices coming from every direction. And if that could be turned or switched into a mindset of listening. And I also think one of the ways to do that is through storytelling. And, and um, everything that everybody said crosses this because you create cultures and environments and places where people feel welcome to share their story, to be heard. And I really feel that has to be intergenerational. Like, I, we've lost the richness. The, like, there's such richness in every generation, but especially as people get feeble, we shut it down. We sort of think they're feeble bodies. Even if they have so-called feeble minds, there's a richness there. And, and I would like to see us tap into the stories, 
But before you can do that, you have to create the environment of listening. If you don't create that environment, people do not feel safe and they do not feel welcomed and they will not share their stories. So that's, that's to me, would, would bring a different culture. Mm. Yeah. Yay. Mallory, come on up. All I know about Mallory is she's from Thunder Bay and this is Lappy, but it's her second summer here and that she's uh, an artist who's studying in Southern Ontario. You knew nothing of the podcast, but now you've heard everybody else. So what comes to your mind? If you could make a difference in Thunder Bay that you would welcome, what would you change? I would actually, I think, change education a little bit because especially coming here and being able to hear all of these amazing people and teachers and mentors, I think the youth of today really don't have access to this. So often, like, they're not taught skills for their future, for their own craft. They don't have the opportunity to pursue things like art or even ideas for themselves to make a change. And I think that's really important for our youth culture today to continue moving our entire community forward. Mm, I love that. Thank you, Mary. Ben, did you want to say something, my buddy? No? Okay, well, I'll say something that Ben said on the podcast that's always stuck with me because it made me, Mallory just made me think of it. He said, I wish that there was more uh, trust to young people, more opportunities to help, and to learn by doing. And I think about that often. I think that's really powerful when you let somebody figure it out, trust them with a job, and include them in something important. Wow, that's a gift to both ways. So that was Ben who taught me that. Something different this way comes something Something different, something different After the introductions, we ate. And after we ate, we brainstormed. We had four headings. The first brainstorm I called Courage Connections because courage loves company and change takes courage. We gathered ideas to strengthen connections between people within communities. The second was change from within, ideas to help us change the systems we're a part of as citizens, as students and teachers, as customers and employees, as advocates, as experts, as neighbors, as social creatures shaping and shaped by our society. The third title was creative disruptions, brainstorming things to do to spark and feed and and strengthen our confidence and our imaginations, our capacity to innovate, and our confidence that, that we get pleasure out of fixing and solving and improving things. And the final brainstorm title was tangible transformations, things that we could change, that we would see as having changed. They're tangible. They're 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 obvious as you go by. I took pictures of the vision boards before it was all done, and they're in their crowds of post-its, and if I can figure out how to get them all on the website, I will. Between the brainstorms, we did have dessert, and I have to share Summer's spontaneous review of the food prepared and served to us by Willow Springs Catering. This was so lovely. I had some of the best food I've ever had. <laughs> Judy's probably like, uh, okay, because I kept almost crying. 
strawberry shortcake's my favorite dessert in the whole wide world, and this was one of the best I've ever had. So teared up a little. I got a cheese pull on the quiche. It was, it was a beautiful experience. <laughs> Before people headed home, I asked them for one more quick chat on microphone that set the microphone away during the brainstorms and the meals and everything. My expectation was people would uh, pull me over to a vision board to rave about an idea or two that came up that really struck them. But that did not happen. Or it didn't happen much. Sam, what was a moment tonight that you felt heard or you heard something that was cool? I felt heard when I was talking about my exercise game group outdoors thing and I heard something cool well there were so many cool things that it kind of just merged together in my brain it's hard to like pick different things out of it but if I had to choose one that I could it would be um probably the climbing trees Elders climbing trees. I like the idea of quote-unquote old people doing things that quote-unquote old people don't usually do. I really like that idea. I think one of the things I got very excited about was the mention of elder buses. Elder busing, I should say. The idea of elders, you know, walking neighborhood kids to school. It's intergenerational, it gives the kids some space from other kids on a bus. They don't have to take the bus. It gives uh, the senior um, a sense of accomplishment. It gives both some exercise. I think it's just a wonderful thought. You know, it just, and it could be easy. So yeah, I like that idea. So there were a few specific suggestions that bubbled up in people as I asked them to, to speak about the evening before the evening was entirely over. But most people spoke in more general terms. Going around asking everybody that simple question, like what would you change if you could? And then realizing I was in a room at a table with a whole bunch of people that have the same sorts of ideas. It doesn't really happen very often. And I think that was really, that's really powerful. It's just kind of like, what a fantastic group. And then doing the, the little exercises um, also gives us some vision of what we could expect or what we could work on. I think that was uh, really fantastic. I, you know, we should do this more often, <laughs> which means somebody else should do the next one, right? Should, should call people together. And also being in a room, like, I, I knew a few of the people here, and some of the people I'd seen before once in a while, but there were lots of people I didn't know at all, which was, again, powerful, because it wasn't the same group that, you know, always shows up in front of Paddy Heidi's office to protest, right? It's other people working in other places on things that are really important communication with people or connections with people was the, the common thing and to recognize everybody and respect everybody and even like respect the earth right so basically it came all to building that connection of respect for everything around you right and to see everything around you and and how you can affect it too right that you're you're a part of that picture and so your response to something reverberates out. So 
I think it was just seeing everyone's enthusiasm for change within our community that was so lovely to see and like the diversity of the ideas but at its core it was about helping the people in our community so that really stuck with me and it was really lovely. Very hopeful discussions it does make you think that there is a lot of potential. I feel like what I feel like I'm taking away is this is a little seed, a little seed that's ready to germinate and there's a lot of power in that seed and it, there's lots of possibilities. It's promise, right? Of all the themes, the one that struck me hardest, that rang me like a bell, was the idea of inclusion, of overcoming our tendency to judge and exclude some among us, some neighbors, and to be okay with not everyone having their basic needs met in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our country. It came up in the introductions, as you heard, and it kept singing out all evening long. Reframing our own behaviors on the streets of Thunder Bay where we meet others who we don't know and without having to get to know anyone deeply personally to say hello. But one thing that really stuck with me is Veronica when she said make it a world that people want to come back to. I wrote it down in my phone and I just keep thinking about that because that's... That's our power, is how do we make this a place people want to come back to? The implications of this wished-for change is, is easy to underestimate. It's just a smile, eye contact, basic respect and inclusion. But this is a profound shift. One of my newsletter subscribing invitees who couldn't make it after all mentioned as we chatted about this gathering that she joined a new committee at her work months ago aiming to decolonize their organization. And she was gobsmacked by how much bigger a job that was than they had expected going into it. Decolonize. What does that mean? The more you explore it, the more you see how saturated we are with ways of thinking of the world, ways of treating one another that are, are deeper than habits. Really, you know, you can wake up one morning and decide, I'm going to stop drinking coffee. I'm off the caffeine bandwagon. That doesn't make it easy to do. Making our culture one that everyone feels at home in, truly valued, included in. It's hard to own how far we are from that. And more and more, I title that which we need to shift away from, colonialism. Thank you.
So, I'm going to take a bit of a detour now, away from the evening of June 11th and into the days following, when I was getting up early in the morning before my family wakes up and, and editing this tape, which was great. But also going through my days with this always percolating in the back of my mind. And I started out feeling really refreshed and renewed and kind of chuffed and nourished by the whole thing. I mean, I was a little tired, and, and I had that deflated post-party partum feeling I often get in the wake of something I worked hard to organize and look forward to for a long time. But, but I was also kind of felt like I had my marching orders. It was very straightforward. Be less colonial, walk my inclusive talk. <laughs> if only it were that easy. I was quickly humbled. And, and I want to talk about how. So, the first moment to cut me down to size in the days after the gathering. I listen with great pleasure to Thunder Bay Anishinaabe leader Riley Yesno. I was listening to her on the podcast Matriarch Movement, and I, I just loved hearing her confidence and her ideas, her perspective about how things are already changing and, and how and why they, they need to change more. And it was very inspiring and positive. I have a link to that podcast um, in the, in the show notes, so you can also listen, and I, and I encourage you to do so. And then at the end, Riley Esno was asked, how does she answer when non-Indigenous people ask, what can I do? And my ears perked. I wanted to hear, what can I do? And what I heard was weary anger, an audible eye roll, an angry list of things that need to be understood before a non-Indigenous person could dare to consider herself an ally and I felt my heart curl up and fall to the ground. Like one of my monarch caterpillars, I gather them from the milkweed outside my front door to, to help raise them, to butterfly them, and I stare at them a lot. And every once in a while, they'll fall off their milkweed. And whenever they do, they curl up instinctively and lay still. It takes them a while before they dare move and climb back up. They're kind of blind, so they have to look with their other senses to find that milkweed to clamber back up and, and restart their job of eating milkweed and transforming from larvae caterpillar into flying butterfly. Well, I had been knocked off my milkweed, was curled up for a while. And then, when I could uncurl and think again, I thought of something Riley Esno had said earlier in that same interview that whenever you start thinking in absolutes and are tempted to just give up, consider yourself or someone else a loser, a villain, a lost cause, a liability, recognize that judgment as colonialism. After all, we all grew up saturated with the colonial values that keep people insecure, that make us feel disposable as a worker as a student, as a, as a spouse, as a friend, as a person. Vulnerable to rejection, to exclusion. All these things feel absolute. Binary. They're simplistic conclusions to imperfection or conflict. They're very wasteful. They're not helpful. They're not the world I want to give my kids. But they are ingrained in my way of thinking. I'm hard on myself. I'm always braced to fuck it up. And for that to be a forever judgment. And, uh, 
it's hard work changing that. It's a moment-to-moment -moment process. I also realized, or I think I figured out after contemplating her words and my reaction, I think part of what got her rolling her eyes with impatience is that all that she had said before that question was asked was a call to self-empowerment. It was, we can do this, you can do this, I can do this, we can spot the opportunities, figure out what to try, and we can get things done. We are not just valued, but valuable. In my eagerness to hear her answer to the question, what can I do? In asking that question, after receiving that gift of permission to direct your own actions, I demonstrated that I had missed the point. That despite all my talk, I was more comfortable walking in the familiar colonial world of leaders and followers. I would rather follow direction than own my own ideas and decisions. Or at least, that's what I think her reaction can be understood to mean. I'm still feeling a little cautious on this whole front, and, and I think that's a good thing. Once I got over my mortification at being called out and clearly failing a bit of a test, failure can be our greatest teacher. You know, that's not just a saying. It, it is true. We learn more from our mistakes, yada, yada, yada. But man, it's easier to say than to actually do in the moment. So rarely are our truly mortifying failures within a planned moment or a foreseen challenge. They come at you unexpectedly. Life is humbling. I think of the actor William Shatner of Star Trek, who recently actually got to go into space after spending years playing the actor who got to explore the next frontier. And he was expecting to be inspired by space as a call to explore. And instead, in that moment, outside our atmosphere, looking at our planet, Shatner was surprised to be humbled and grief-struck by his realization of what a finite, precious miracle our home is. Our incredible blue planet and its thin skin of interconnected and interdependent life. Life of which we are just one part. myself up and carried on. And within days, I was sideswiped again, humbled again. It was a day when the wildfire smoke hung heavy, triggering my asthma, so I gardened with a mask on, making me think the world is burning and quietly spin with anxiety all day. On that day, I, I chose to read an article in the Globe and Mail. It was an opinion piece titled, BC's Drug Decriminalization Experiment is Off to a Disastrous Start. The author focused on a small town where drug use had become dramatically more visible now that BC has made it possible to possess a small amount of certain drugs without risking arrest or having those drugs seized. In the author's opinion, 
This was disastrously hurtful to the town. But, I mean, I read the whole article and I, I couldn't see hurt, per se. It was hard to notice that around his strong language and dramatic little vignettes of, of people being taken aback by what they had to see that they'd never noticed before. But I didn't see hurt. I saw less risk of dying. Because if you're alone when your drugs prove more potent or not exactly what you thought you were buying, in this masked and unmanaged supply chain through which people procure drugs, if you're alone, odds are you'll die. Most overdoses are about the supply chain and, and the aloneness and the shame. That's what's killing us. All I could see was more opportunities to care for one another, more permission to own the fact that people use drugs and to make it less of a death sentence. None of us are worth more or less just because of that drug use. I mean, most drug use is recreational. It's occasional. People use it to unwind or have fun, like people use alcohol or marijuana. I heard a psychologist who specializes in social underpinnings of drug use say that only 10% of those who use drugs ever become addicted to them. And almost always among those who do become addicted, there's something else going on, another stressor, like social or financial insecurity. Hmm, who does that make look bad? Or unsupported mental health challenges. Hmm, those kinds of psychological stressors are more likely to trigger an addiction than the addictive nature of the drugs themselves. I'll put a link to that conversation in the notes as well. Actually, technically, apparently, these illegal drugs are less addictive than caffeine or nicotine. In fact, the only ones that you can die from being suddenly cut off from them are the prescribed ones that are legal, one prescribed, and alcohol. Hmm. But right now, drug use among our friends and neighbors, our family, our co-workers, our community can be easily ignored or minimized. It is othered actively in our culture, something that happens to other people, not a general concern, not applicable to all of us as a community. And I think that is the problem. So when change allows that many more people to be less private about their drug use, it would be a shock. It would be uncomfortable, but it's not hurtful. It's not a disaster. Even in a small town where odds are that much better that that person who you now know uses drugs and is struggling with an addiction is somebody you know, somebody you have connections to, somebody in your community, not an other at all. Anyway, on that smoky day, I read that article and I went into a tailspin worrying about how big a change it is to truly set down our habits of judgment and exclusion. And I got out of the tailspin by thinking about Mallory's parting words from the gathering. I think truly, like, like just at the start when everyone was sitting down and you started speaking to everyone, like, individually about their experiences with your podcast and what they would change was really impactful for me realizing of, like, wow, this is a room full of incredible people that have goals and want to change like everything about our community for the better for the future and that was 
sort of like a full like light up moment for me I found because um, like I I think especially like with a lot of people that I know my age we're kind of in this weird middle space of like we want things to change but we don't know how things change and we don't have access to a lot of people who know how to change things and it gets to kind of like a defeated mindset of of cycling through like we want this but we don't think it's achievable right now which kind of really beats individuals down and just being in this room with all of these amazing people that have like such strong hopes for the future and actual plans to change things in the spaces that they're already in is just incredible. I'm really glad to hear you say that you could feel that same sort of sense of it might not happen with a snap of a finger but changes is very possible. Currently like I've had the opportunity to like work in schools again and just seeing the kind of culture and youth that are now so progressive and accepting of a lot of thoughts that when I was in elementary school, which wasn't like that long ago, would have been incredibly foreign or like completely like fought against. How just in terms of mental health and like different like neurodivergence and and accepting all different types of people and how they think and how they are is just incredible to see. And it's amazing not only like seeing youth that are like able to have those thoughts and ideas of, of change and acceptance and want a better world for themselves, but also adults that are still hopeful and still fighting for that. And I felt better. Do as I say, not as I fear, I guess. One of the things that came up in the Creative Disruptions brainstorm was creating art that people will want to watch or read or play just because it's fun. You know, it's a rom-com. It's an animated family movie. It's a great sitcom makes you laugh. But giving it a, a radical setting, slyly, to just portray the change we want to see as a given. It's a creative medium. You can do whatever you want. Why not make it quietly aspirational as well as entertaining? Personally, I have a problem with entertainment that uses parody to make its point. It makes me angry and scared. It doesn't work very well for me. But, um, well, for example, I really noticed this when we watched Big Hero 6 years ago, the, the family movie, and it's set in a, a not-quite-current town that is dominated by active transit and public transit and people living pretty densely packed together, but a lot of green spaces. And um, they have these floating windmills. Part of the movie happens when they're, they're flying and bouncing around on them. But you can tell this is like a green energy source for this city. But it's not something anybody makes a point of. It's just there and quietly inspirational, setting a precedent in our imaginations. So the example that keeps coming to my mind as I think about a way of treating one another that is more neighborly and kind and truly inclusive. And uh, the example I, I, I love is Schitt's Creek. It took me forever to figure this out about Schitt's Creek. I was watching it going, I feel like I'm missing something. Schitt's Creek is a beautiful illustration of an inclusive, kind community. This family who've managed to uh, live the dream, they exemplify what 
judging by our, our popular culture, you would think was the ideal achievement. They were rich, fashionable, influential, opinionated. They had all the right friends. They made it into the newspapers, little paparazzi attention. They had lost all of that. And they were taken in by a town that they had purportedly bought. They move into a hotel that they don't own. Somebody else privately owns it. But they're given room and board and every opportunity. They are rude. (laughs) And they are forgiven their rudeness. They're given friendship and love. And um, it's not predictable. It's not tidy. It takes work to build real relationships. But it's beautiful. It's so beautiful and fun. So how would the people of Schitt's Creek manage somebody introducing drugs to their community that hadn't been there before, or developing an addiction to drugs, or being challenged with homelessness, or not being able to afford to feed their family, or not being able to afford medicine they need to stay healthy? It all suddenly seems a lot easier to solve when you give it that sort of imagined but actualized context. Any rate, that was my first week after the gathering. And I have to say, those early morning edits of the tape I'd gathered also helped. This, yeah, inspiration of all these people and knowing that all of these people, who many of them were strangers to me, are, like, existing in this community together is a really sort of hopeful feeling that, like, there are a lot of people that want really radical, positive, amazing change to happen. And yeah, it feels really hopeful. tailspin. I fell off my milkweed again, so to speak. I went to a presentation organized by the Chamber of Commerce. It was titled, Economic Reconciliation is Our Competitive Edge, and it was a presentation by J.P. Gladue. He is a former president of the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. He's a member of Sanpon First Nation on Lake Nipigon here in northwestern Ontario, right up my alley. I was really excited to go. But as he spoke... I fell into that binary thinking of, am I a bad guy here? Is he a bad guy? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's the ally? Who's the enemy? Of course, I had not even read his whole bio before buying my ticket. I didn't get past what I just used to introduce him by. But if I'd read just a little farther, I would have seen that J.P. Gladue is, is on the board of Suncor. You know, the giant Canadian oil sands refinery company. One of the top contributors to climate change in the world, according to current headlines all over the place. Among many other leadership roles over the past 30 years, that's one of the ones he's doing right now. A lot of his presentation used the same language and framing 
that so disturbed me when I heard Federal Minister Jonathan Wilkinson use it in a recent interview on CBC's What on Earth. And I read Federal Minister Christia Freeland quoted using those same frameworks, those same expressions, those same ways of positioning decisions in a CBC article I just read recently. I'll have links to both of these in the landing page, but the same framing or spin used by Enridge employees with whom I happened to share a meal last fall and my counterspin to those arguments I included in the Save the Mothers episode of season two. In all these cases, the framing of Canada's fossil fuels industry made me think of the collaborative art project that we did at the gathering. We had oodles of visual art-making tools at hand provided by Willow Springs Creative Center, crayons, pastels, magazines to cut and collage with. There was this huge piece of paper spread down several tables end-to-end that we could all find a place at, and we would doodle and draw, prompted by words or phrases, and then keep changing places, doodling and drawing in another spot, until we were squeezing our colors and our ideas into the few blank spaces or adding little bits of texture or coloring or highlighting to something that that somebody else had already put into that space until finally we stepped back to see the whole. And it was kind of (laughs) crazy, a little overwhelming, very busy and kind of beautiful. Then we were handed small frames and we went around framing little pieces of that big thing until we found the little piece that fit in our frame that spoke to us cut that one out framed it up took it home framing it's powerful stuff our minds love it we love to keep things contained and and within a narrative arc and file it away and live by it life is much bigger than that much harder to wrap our heads around there's too much going on it's too long and it's too multifaceted and it's it's just more than we can manage So we love to frame. And therefore, if you want to control a conversation, to win an exchange of wits, framing is a powerful tool. When I've been trained as a journalist, and even when I've been trained as somebody being interviewed by journalists, both sides of the microphone learn the same thing. And it's all about framing. If you can control the meaning of key words, if you get to set the agenda for what that word means, if you can control or set the tone for the conversation and give an emotional overlay to specific words or images, if you can make it personal so people see themselves in one side or what they perceive to be the other side, you can win an argument, no matter what the facts are, you can win a conversation and have the listener decide that you are the side they want to be on. When in fact, the world is not really divided into sides, as we've been discussing this whole time. Framing, or spin, outmaneuvers facts every time. A classic example used often in teaching media skills or counterspin is when President Clinton was asked by a reporter on camera whether or not he had sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky. And you can see on camera the little smile he gives and how his shoulders relax when the journalist uses those words, sexual relations. Because now he, Clinton, has been soft past the ball. He gets to decide what that phrase means. Sexual relations? Whatever it means to him, that's what he gets to make it mean for that conversation. 
so he can deny all that he wants. All that he has to defend is his own understanding of a phrase. Pretty nonspecific phrase. The moment that bothered me most in J.P. Gladue's very polished and confident presentation is when he put up on his PowerPoint an image of protesters holding up a sign that says, RBC is costing us our future. It was a pretty big crowd of people of various ages, mostly young people. And he talked about how these protesters were posing as allies of First Nation people, but in fact, in his opinion, were using First Nations peoples as pawns and presuming to speak for them. This is something he finds so offensive that he's called out anti-oil production activists from Neil Young to the dude who played the Hulk, and he's published opinion pieces, I think it was in the Vancouver Sun, that he proudly showed the headlines of, stating this opinion of his. In fact, he said that rather than supporting his community, he feels uh, protesters pressuring banks to stop financing the oil industry are working to keep First Nations in poverty. And he showed another slide, an ad put out by the Indigenous Resource Network, who apparently did a survey in rural First Nations communities. The findings were that 53% of those asked supported resource industries. And again, I thought, framing. How has the framing of the question or this finding shaped the impression this fact is currently giving me? And yeah, I did not have a natural tendency to want to embrace this fact, right? Because my take on on fossil fuel industry is not that it is the only and the best way for rural First Nation communities to gain the financial stability and benefits that they are so due. That's my opinion. I took notes. If I hadn't taken notes, I would remember very little of this because my brain was shutting down. (laughs) I was in fallen caterpillar mode. I was curled up and overwhelmed. My brain was just jittering in circles, spinning between, am I the bad guy? Is he a bad guy? Who's the hero here? Who's the villain? I had this colonial binary thinking just shutting me down. I mean, I went into this hoping to find confirmation of my success, which is also pretty binary, you know, very simplistic. I was hoping to find confirmation of my success in understanding his perspective as a First Nation leader and spokesperson. I wanted to be affirmed as an ally. I went in with a binary mindset. So I guess I was vulnerable to feeling condemned, rejected, failed. Binary thinking. Caterpillar fallen from her milkweed. probably don't need to say this. It's preaching to the choir, but I want to point out how narrowly he framed these facts. Those protesters in that newspaper image outside the RBC meeting, they were not just there to speak for First Nation communities. They were people there because they're scared for our shared future with good reason. I mean, it is perfectly reasonable to feel that we cannot afford to use all the oil products we've already mined. Mind you, invest in infrastructure to mine more for decades to come. As fast as possible, I agree with them. I feel we need to transition. 
And transition isn't a switch. It's a, it's a process. But we're moving to energy production that doesn't require constant mining and refining and transport, that doesn't release climate crisis-fueling greenhouse gases at every stage of the energy production system. We need to transition away from that and to more localized. Build it once and it needs no further inputs for decades. It releases no greenhouse gases once the infrastructure is built. Energy systems like wind, geothermal and solar, even wave, some hydro. The current system has excess fossil fuel combustion generation plants built just to sit idle. I mean, that's a big investment of infrastructure, just to sit idle most of the time so they're available to kick in when we need more energy than is being otherwise produced. We have no energy storage in our current systems. We just have excess energy production capacity. Such a wasteful system. Man, the infrastructure we invest in that we use only rarely, we use only because of a mismanagement of our assets, really. A wasteful system. The way that we're headed, we're figuring out energy storage. It doesn't matter how that energy is produced. Once we know how to store it, we can be so much less wasteful. That's huge. And Canada could be a leader in this. I mean, if we think of our uh, fossil fuel-founded energy industry as being a wealth of people and expertise that can apply to all of these things we want to transition to, still energy production and transmission, just a different basic source. It means we'll have to discount and no longer value stores of fossil fuels that are not yet mined or refined or transported. Yeah. But that's a small loss, right? It'll affect the Canadian Stock Exchange because most of Canada's companies that are big enough to be traded on that stock exchange are either in the business of extracting and refining and distributing fossil fuel-based energy, or they're in the business of lending money towards that fossil fuel-based industry. But Canada's 4% of the world's economy, right? And a well-diversified investment portfolio held by a Canadian is not generally limited to Canadian companies. You personally, as somebody who holds investments, shouldn't be unduly affected by this change in the current value of these companies if we stop giving them credit for what we don't want them to do, which is continue to extract fossil fuels at the rate we currently are or a higher rate and become the last one left standing in a fading industry. That's not a future I want us to invest in. That's not a Canada I want to support as a taxpayer. I feel we have other options I want to hear more about. And the risk is being framed, not very fairly, in my opinion. In fact, that would be how I would frame these facts. That's what I think is important to include in a discussion about Canada's oil and gas industries and Canada's other resource industries, forestry, for instance. I think the risks of monoculture, of weakening biodiversity, should be part of what we're bringing up as we get through the worst ever forest fire season ever and pour all this carbon into the atmosphere as forests burn across Canada. I have lots of thoughts that are not well aligned with this presentation I sat through that Tuesday. I thank you for letting me get 
that preaching to the choir off my chest. I feel better now. see that framework coming when I sat down to that luncheon on economic reconciliation. The spin just knocked my listening ears right off me for a while. But luckily, my inner journalist came to the fore and I took notes. And once I'd recovered enough, I looked at them. And I found that there's actually a lot of things that J.P. Gladu said that I, I agree with. He's not a bad guy. There's, there's a few things we have significant differences about, but others that I I really want to help make happen. For instance, he supports no money down financing of First Nation owned industries. He called it a form of consent. And it's already happening. He had some inspiring examples to share. The Meadow Lake Tribal Council's bioenergy plant. It's a bioenergy, it's a sawmill, it's a logging operation in Saskatchewan. There's a geothermal power generation plant owned by Fort Nelson First Nation. And all of these were supported in part by some not well-established, kind of new to Canada, financing agreements. The kind of thing that I was completely talking about and imagining in action in my Kindness Economy episode of season three. And I have to say, by the way, as a bit of an aside, that about the same time, I was so delighted to hear news of incredible progress on this front internationally. Um, I listened to two episodes of the Zero podcast and they got me so excited. One was on the Bridgetown Initiative. Uh, there was an international gathering in France just last week supporting these proposed changes to profoundly shift things and, and help poor nations manage their climate crisis by changing up how we finance stuff. The other one was about the U.S. Department of Energy's Loan Programs Office tweaking things to facilitate getting billions, trillions of dollars behind transformative, innovative business action, changing up how we finance things in a way that lets more people in the door, gets more ideas actually moving from proven to productive. So exciting. So I'm totally online with J.P. Gladu on that front. And, and the other thing he talked about that makes so much sense to me is how environmental assessments need to happen, and sometimes do and should always. And that is by starting with the people, the First Nations who know that environment that's being assessed. Start there. Include them all the way along as experts with frontline insight into what the options are, what the impact might be, everything, everything. Too often, an environmental assessment is a tag-on, rubber-stamping opportunity after outsiders have come up with and decided on their plan of action, and they only leave room for stamp of approval, maybe a tweak. That is disrespectful. That is ineffective. That is a waste of everybody involved's time. That is a likely increase in cost and, and time taken to little benefit. So, totally with them on that. And there were other things in his bio that excited me when I looked at it further. And it all made me think about Catherine Hayhoe. I went back to the TED Talk that got me to buy her book a couple of years ago. Catherine Hayhoe is the environmental activist based in the southern United States, but originally from Canada, who started out, like many of us, thinking if only people understood, if we got the facts out there, everything would change. 
only to be frustrated with how ineffective facts alone are in instigating change. What works is conversation, daring to talk about it. And that is easier said than done. A lot of her book is about finding commonalities and building conversations and agreeing to courses of action based on what we have in common. And that means letting lie the things we disagree on. Managing the conversation so that doesn't trip us up and the door remains open to collaborative, respectful conversation. That takes courage. It takes courage to be that humble and careful and open and adaptable. It's messy. Kind of um, a skill set you're going to have to take some time to develop and will never perfect. But, uh, but that's powerful, those difficult conversations, those courageous openings, raising your hand, raising your voice, throwing out an idea. Something different this way comes something. Something different, something different. After the gathering, I, I emailed all the guests pictures of the vision boards, and, and I invited them to send me things. If, if, they, if they have anything in their back pocket or that they think of that might help inform my, my research and my thinking and my fleshing out of all those great ideas. And Joanne Henderson sent me a video, another TED Talk that I will, I will link to in the notes. And this one was by the journalist and author Johan Hari. And it was about anxiety. It made me think of these smoky days that get me spinning. In it, he tells a story of a, of a conversation introducing anti-anxiety medication to Cambodia, where they didn't yet have those pharmaceuticals. But when the Western doctors introduced it to the Cambodian doctors, the Cambodian doctors said, what are we treating exactly? Oh, yeah, no, we have that. We have anti-anxiety medication. No problem. And they told this story. For instance, we had a patient very anxious, very anxious, depressed, can't get out of bed, doesn't shower, doesn't manage his personal hygiene, can't eat well, just a mess. So we went and we sat with him and we listened to what he was thinking. And we realized, we told him that his, his reason for his anxiety was very well-founded. What had happened was he was a rice farmer, always raised to be a rice farmer, grew up in a rice farming village, and he stepped on a landmine when farming one day in his rice paddy, and his legs were blown off. But, you know, he was healed. They gave him prosthetic legs so he could go back to work in the rice field. But he could not be comfortable in the rice field. The prosthetics didn't work well, submerged in water as he had to be doing that work. And also he was very anxious. He would step on another landmine just like he had the last time until it got worse and worse and worse and he couldn't get out of bed and he wouldn't have a shower and he couldn't eat and he was just a mess. He couldn't think his way out of it at all. But we could. We sat, we listened, we said, this is, this is good reason to be anxious, to be depressed. And we talked to his family, we talked to his friends, and together we prescribed a solution, a medication. We said, get a cow. So the village, they got him a cow. And instead of being a rice farmer... He became a cow farmer. Didn't have to go on any rice paddies, didn't have to submerge those prosthetics. It took him a while to get out of bed, to regain his strength, to clarify his mind again. But once he understood how this would solve the cause of his anxiety, his anxiety was cured. All he needed, he needed. 
his specific cure was a cow. And all we needed to do was to listen and to respect that sometimes anxiety, most of the time anxiety, it is a signal. There is something that needs to change. And so you find, you prescribed the necessary change. Isn't that a beautiful story? We're surrounded by cows. We think we need to just hide our symptoms and, and not bother people with them and find a cure of the symptom. But maybe what we need are cows or whatever is the specific change that will address the very good reasons that you're feeling anxious. A little action. And you know what? There's a lot of action that needs doing. There really is. And, and that video, that video was just the anxiety medication I needed. Thank you very much, Joanne. Connections to give us clarity and courage, conversations, and respecting one another, listening, and proposing simple actions that might be really impactful, quietly powerful stuff. I would say one of the coolest things that I got to see is having people from as young as Sam to, you know, the different generationals and seeing everyone's different input on it and seeing that they all kind of like connected to the same core of just wanting to better the environment that we all live in. And um, yeah, that just really stuck with me was seeing everyone's perspectives. I think I really enjoyed all the the different ways that we can bring, you know, like climate activism into our community and stuff like that and trying to promote ways that we can kind of meet more than one goal you know like green rooftops to feed people good for the environment also good because people need food and just kind of meeting two goals with one one task um and i really enjoyed all the energy in the room everybody just trying to work together towards a common goal and uh try and come up with some creative problem solving instead of just identifying you know all these problems that we have and oh well, we can't do anything about it so why try anyway you know it's just just the opposite of that where everybody was looking at the issues going okay well we can do something with that let's how can we flip that on its head so I really enjoyed that the cows prescribed in our brainstorms are many from building our connection to all our relations human and non-human Gardening or canning buddies to make a chore more social and fun. Wilderness adventure clubs to commit with your friends to getting out in the natural world regularly. Cleanup parties to take a little piece of wild and, and help make it healthier and, and restore it to its better strength and resilience. Rewilding our city streets. Little beds of boreal. More around us. I mean, my goodness, I think of the entrance to Lakehead University. On one side, moan. On the other side, grown deep and wild as bush. Which one is more inviting? Which one is more dense and deeply green? The boreal, not the lawn. At any rate. I'm still looking for my courage, connection, commitment. Places to go reliably to build my relationships with people to demonstrate that I respect and am respected, that I like and am liked, that I can figure things out and can do. 
It's kind of simple and very beautiful. Something I noticed was how like how well all the ideas seem to work together actually, and how doing one thing could affect so many other things. Like just even like the community spaces to then have facilitate all the other ideas that were there, like the book clubs, the repairing circles, all of that. Once you start doing things like that, then more just grows from that. One of the patterns that was there is the idea of us doing things with our hands in a community setting. Hands. So all these different environments where people can feel free to learn things, try things, pass on knowledge, uh, enjoy music, enjoy fixing bikes, enjoy storytelling, whatever it may be. So there was that, the hands element was huge. So to come somewhere that feels very warm and welcoming and and just a relaxing space with people and food and some making. And what I was most struck by, I think, when we were sharing individually was that we're all talking about the same things. But because we're coming from, whether it's different professions, different backgrounds, our language is different. But we're all pointing toward the same kinds of things that we would like to tend to or cultivate or create together um, which I loved yeah yeah it was great what stuck with me most is the like just the sense of community throughout the night the idea of us being able to be together in community Um, yes there are all these things that we want to change in our community and that really also does start with connecting to each other and building those relationships and and seeing seeing what each other's like building actual like friendships and connections and not just being here to work but being here to be with each other and I think especially after the last few years like we've really become so disconnected and I think even before the start of the pandemic we were becoming increasingly disconnected so coming together it's it's like good community work but it's also healing yeah and what I also liked, and I asked people to bring somebody of another generation, because you're most comfortable with your spouse or your sister or somebody your age. Um, I'm really glad that you came because you're younger than me uh, and you're older than my kids and you're just, you know, what did you think that was important too, the, the different generation thing? I thought it was so important. And when I read in the email that it was invite somebody of a different generation, I was like, oh, that's so cool. That's totally what we should be doing. Um, And like I'm Anishinaabe. So one thing that I think about a lot are like the medicine, the different medicine wheel teachings that we have. So like wellness, we have our spiritual, emotional, mental and physical wellness. And I found that that came up a lot tonight. But same with medicine wheel teachings about age and generation. You have your infants, your young people, your adults and your elders. And each of those different generations brings such huge gifts with them and different gifts different challenges for each generation so when we come together we can really see what those are so for youth maybe there's a lot of like 
vision with elders is a lot of wisdom. What are all of the different things that, that we bring as our gifts as individuals, but also as members of our different generations that can make us a stronger community and make our action really work? How can we, how can we get things going as a strong, healthy, intergenerational community? I think of a habit where Ben and his best friend pin up a poster at the end of a table every Tuesday for a couple of hours, and they pull out their tools and their computers, and they invite people to drop by and bring them tech to repair. Their motto is no more planned obsolescence. Isn't that a perfect motto for us all? For William Shatner out there staring down at our little tiny planet and grieving, no more planned obsolescence. One miracle of a planet overwhelmingly alive and interconnected and resilient. One impactful species. So powerful when we work together. So adaptive and innovative. No more planned obsolescence. We can do it. And did you notice how so many of the ideas and solutions, they don't cost anything or they're, you know... They're almost free. I think the corporate world has just shifted us away from, you know, basic things that make sense. Say hello to people. Meet them eye to eye. It's just simple things. Then also, these simple ideas hit you so profoundly right in the gut. In that, yeah, that's how I want to be treated. So I want my family and people I love to be treated. And uh, a group like this coming together and with all these ideas, and you could feel the passion in what they spoke of. It was just really great. Thanks for doing it. It gives me hope. (laughs) Yeah, it gives me hope. I'm glad. How about you? What did you think? It went by too fast. Um... I really love these boards full of ideas and the moments when everybody was just like madly writing down ideas and sticking them up all over the place like the, the pokeroo went mad. Like those moments were amazing. Yeah. I just kind of was hard to be in a room with 22 people that I like so much and only be able to talk to one at a time. Yeah, and for some of us who were just meeting some of these amazing people for the first time, it would be lovely to be able to get together again. biologists talk about the reintroduction of wolves to Yellowstone National Park recently on the podcast Radio Lab, and she framed it differently than I'd heard before. She said that after generations without predation, deer lived without fear in the park as the top of their food chain. With the return of wolves, they immediately grew more alert. They stopped overgrazing the banks of the rivers. They moved more often. And that allowed the banks to grow stronger. In fact, the whole region's biodiversity and resilience improved. With the deer now eating and pooing a little bit everywhere. No overgrazing, no undertended spaces. 
The deer themselves got healthier with more varied diet, more exercise, more mental stimulation, more incentive to work together as a herd. Huh. It makes me think of that smell of smoke. And cows. The smoke that triggers my anxiety and gets the thought the world is burning looping in my mind. It can make it harder for me to think and act and reach out. Unless, inspired by that story of prescribing a cow to cure anxiety, inspired by that perspective of fear as a trigger to make us more alert, more collaborative, more attentive, more active. Maybe I can train my brain to see that smoke as a trigger to positive action, to empowerment, to getting more comfortable with the uncomfortable, more confident in the value of daring to try to connect, to do something. The time to speak up and dare to try, <laughs> it's now. So there's a lot to do. And a lot of it's pretty darn easy. It's just grow something, ask something, offer something. It's not really complicated. It just requires daring to start somewhere. Something Different This Way comes as my podcast. Leah McKay is the graphic designer who helps make it beautiful online. But it's my cost, my opinions, my framing of the conversations generously shared with me. And thank you to all who gathered, whose words were included in today's special summer episode. If you want to hear more of our references of the episodes if you want to contribute and help pay for my time and work you can do all that at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca I'll be back with season 4 in the fall and I'll have another special summer episode in a few weeks a conversation with the amazing songwriter teacher and activist and leader Cheyenne Havorka good summer. Don't let the smoke get you down. May it help you instead find the cow that cures your climate anxiety. Something different this way comes something. Something different. Something different. Something different this way comes something. Something